I'd like you to uh, join me in prayer this morning. If you would bow your heads and your hearts. I'd like just to begin with um, a moment of silence as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God, as we open our hearts to the spirit. Just pray that you would uh, be still, as the scripture tells us, be still and know that I am God. So let's have this moment of silence together. Father, as we open our hearts to you, as we create space in this place and in our hearts to receive your spirit, we want to tell you, first of all, that we love you and we worship you. Lord, I I can't tell you how wonderful it is to experience the grace of God every day in our lives. We thank you, Father, that even though it's undeserved, you have poured out, you've literally lavished your mercy and your grace upon your children. And for that, we are truly grateful. We also recognize, Lord, that we come here as a broken and fallen people. We look around our world and we see tragedy and death and destruction everywhere. Father, we lift up those, especially in Egypt today, who are losing loved ones who are dying and, and it seems like there's no end in sight. We pray, Father, that the peace of God would come upon these individuals and that this fighting would stop. And yet, Father, even as we pray that, we recognize that throughout the history of mankind, we've always been at war because we've been at war with you. We're at war with each other. And Lord, I pray that we would understand that Peace in this world will never happen until the Prince of Peace is here present among us forever. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be those who bring peace to our world. And Lord, recognizing that, we also would pray that um, the light of Jesus, the salt that is in our lives would be seen and known and recognized everywhere. That even though we can't affect worldwide peace and salvation, we can do our part in bringing the truth of God's love to people that we know in our sphere of influence, in our world. We pray, Father, that you would help us to do that as your children. Lord, we just lift up those who are struggling today. Lord, I want to mention uh, Cindy Barton and uh, J.R. Mahala. And I want to mention... um, Uh, Mike George, Father, and there's others I know, but I pray, Father, for these who are struggling mightily physically. And Lord, also mentioning those in our church here this morning that are struggling, whether it's a physical need or emotional or spiritual. Lord, you have told us that in 1 Corinthians 15 that you are the God of all comfort and that you desire to bring comfort and peace to all those who need you. So, Father, meet the needs of those in our church today where there's a broken heart, 
bring healing. Where there's a life that is faithless, may they know that you are love and that you will give them the faith that they need. And for bodies that are broken, Father, we pray that you would bring healing to each and every one. Lord, what we're going to do in the next moments is very exciting because we're going to literally open your word, the living word of God, the word that is breathed by this Holy Spirit, and we are going to share that word with these people. And I pray that their hearts and their hands and their spirits would be open to receive it, that all distractions of of the world will just fade away and that they would once again find themselves in the presence of the Spirit, in the presence of your word, being transformed, being changed, being challenged, being convicted, being blessed, being uh, graced by your holy word. So, Father, that's my prayer this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So bless us now, Father, as we open your word, and we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, as uh, Ryan said a few moments ago, we um, were missing many of our ladies today, and they're off uh, in San Diego having the triennial, which is the every three-year women's retreat. From what I heard here from Sherry and the others, uh, it's going great, and they're having a great time, and they'll be traveling back this afternoon, so keep them in your prayers uh, that they'll receive traveling mercies. So before we begin the message this morning, and we're beginning a brand new series, by the way, uh, I just want to say a personal word uh, to you. Um, last week, e- each week, we have someone in the office, uh, one of the pastors, writes a um, kind of a message or a sermonette to be on the web newsletter. And so that appears each Monday from one week it's me, one week it's Brandon, Ryan, Corey, etc. And uh, we just, um, this was my week. So I sat down to write uh, a little bit about the sabbatical, knowing that I already told you more than you want to know last week. Uh, but uh, I thought, well, what can I share with them about uh, being home? And I entitled my article, uh, Coming Home. So here's, here's what I discovered. I missed my bed. So I'm glad to be back with my bed. It's very comfortable, and it's not as good when Sherry's not in it this last week, but it's still a great bed. I missed my home. Uh, Beth Sanders stayed in our home and kind of house sat, and it was in good shape when we got home. I, I missed my little Corolla driving around and puttering around, and uh, I missed coming to work every day and working out. I have a routine that I do, and it works for me. But of all of that, I didn't miss the heat, by the way, not one time. When you, when you guys had like 119 one day, Sherry and I said, well, that's too bad. What do you want for lunch? Uh, so, uh, it was, it was, so we, uh, wait, but, but I'll, I'll tell you what I did miss and what uh, really mattered about coming home. And, and it was this. It was, it's you. Um, the body of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. Um, my family. I've been your pastor for 13 years and, um, many of you have been in my life that for that long, and I just thank God for you. And what I shared with you last Sunday about coming home, this idea that um, as I, Brandon and Ryan and the others from staff and Pastor Barb and, and Corey and Brian share about what's been going on, uh, it's obvious to me 
that you have grown in your faith in these last months. And as I shared with you last Sunday, no greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children, his spiritual children, are following the truth. And I just wanted to thank you. And I wanted to say to each and every one of you, you are the reason that Chandler matters to me. You are the reason that this is our home. And um, it's really great to be back here. So uh, thank you for who you are. Well, this morning we're going to begin a brand new series entitled, What's Your One Step? Now, we're going to be talking about um, evangelism. Okay, let's get that right out. I'm not going to code it in different words and everything. Uh, now, evangelism is kind of that E word you never want to talk about. Uh, now, E word does not mean eHarmony.com. It's evangelism. And uh, you're afraid of it. I understand that because you're afraid that I'm going to tell you you should be bullhorn guy or you should be that uh, guy that knocks on doors or you should be, uh, you know, the guy that leaves uh, uh, a gospel tract instead of uh, a tip. You leave something that says, here, I've got a tip for you. Love Jesus. Well, those waiters and waiters don't want to hear that. Right. They want a tip. So so we're not going to do that. We're not going to give you rules and regulations and programs and desires and all these kind of things. We're going to share with you from God's word. What does it look like to impact your life for the kingdom? OK, and we're going to talk about that for four weeks. So I'm very excited about this. So I want to start with a, a story. Um, when I was in, uh, serving a church in San Diego years ago, uh, a brother of mine, another pastor, I uh, had this experience. He was flying from San Diego to Denver. And as he uh, got to the peak altitude and settled back in his chair, he reached for the uh, in-flight magazine and he happened to turn it over and he saw in the back of it, in bold letters, a quote that literally turned him upside down. This is the quote that he read on the back of the in-flight magazine. When, you're, when you understand you can change the world, your life will never be the same. When you understand you can change the world, your life will will never be the same. Now, my friend thought, well, what kind of outrageous statement is that? I mean, what company or corporation or organization is going to make a claim like that? And then he looked down at the bottom of that big ad on the back of the in-flight magazine, and he realized that that was a quote from Hugh Hefner in Playboy magazine. So he had a couple thoughts around that, and so do I. The first thought is this. It's probably true. Since Playboy magazine has been around in the early 1950s for over 60 years, there's probably been nothing that's had more impact on our society, our world, than normalizing pornography. It has dramatically changed our culture. It has dramatically changed our world. 72% of men, at least occasionally, surf the net for pornography. 72%. Worldwide, get this, because we think that this is an American problem, worldwide, it's even higher. So my friend was kind of agitated because he knew that that was probably true. The claim made by Hugh Hefner, when you understand you can change the world, your life will never be the same. The second thought he had made him angry, and it was this. He said, that should be our slogan, the Church of Jesus Christ. That should be our mantra. That belongs to us. We should be the one proclaiming that good news that when you understand you can change the world, your life will never, ever be the same. They have co-opted our mantra. So last week, um, uh, eight of us from our church were at the leadership summit for Willow Creek. 
It's in Chicago, but it's televised all over. And we were in Mesa at a a church uh, going to the leadership summit. And one of the things that was emphasized over and over again, which I love about this conference, is this one simple fact. That the local church, the Church of Jesus Christ, you and I, as meager as we might be, you and I, the Church of Jesus Christ, is the hope of the world. And the reason we're the hope of the world is because we carry within our hands and within our hearts the pearl of great price. We carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. We carry the good news that if you give your heart and your life to Jesus, your life will be transformed forever, not just temporarily. Your life will be changed. You'll receive forgiveness. You'll receive salvation. And you'll spend all eternity with God and with other believers. Now, that is an amazing gift. That's an amazing thing, this pearl of great price. And this belongs to us, the church. And when we recognize the power of that, when we understand that through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that we can change the world, our lives should never, ever again be the same. We are in the business of transformed lives. Now, there's a lot of churches in our world, a lot. And some of them are great and some of them aren't so great. But we, the body of Christ, we're in the business of doing everything in our power to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. So this whole church idea began on a little mountain called the Mount of Olives. And it was before Pentecost, about, oh, just a few days before Pentecost, uh, Jesus was about ready to uh, disappear. You know, those of you that are around church in the Bible understand that that was called the ascension. This is when Jesus, after the resurrection, 40 days after that, he ascended and went into heaven to be at the right hand of his father. And he told the disciples gathered around him. We don't know how many were there. It says the disciples. So it could have been just the 11. Judas is history by now. Right. And Matthias isn't part of the group yet. So it could have been the 11 or it could have been others. We know that by this time there were over 513 Christ followers. In these 40 days, the the movement exploded that fast. And so either the 11 or other disciples were around them on this little hill. And and Jesus said, I want to tell you guys something before I go. And I want you to hear me clearly because this really matters. You know, I've told you this many times before, but this is the last word you're going to hear from me. This is the last message you're going to hear from me. So please pay attention. He said, first of all, I want you to live good lives. You know, I want you to raise your kids with good education and raise your kids with uh, knowing how to play soccer. And I want to, I want you to do a good job, be good citizens. I want you to be good at your jobs, be very filled with integrity and honesty at your jobs. I want you to make sure the kids go to school, they learn how to brush their teeth. And I want you, all these things I want you to do all, but I, but in the, in the midst of all of those things, living your everyday, normal, everyday life, which we all do, he said, I want you to remember something. You've only got one job in this world. And that's to make disciples. So in the midst of fixing your supper and learning how to play soccer and brushing your teeth, in the midst of all of that, do all of that, in the midst of all that, remember that you have one job in the world, and that is to make disciples. That was the beginning of the church. Right there. Now, it was kind of confirmed on Pentecost a few days later, but that was the beginning of the church. God says, okay, I want you to understand that my marching orders are... Right here, right now, you can find it in Matthew 28, you can find it in Acts 1-8, that you are to go into the world and make disciples. And you're supposed to do that all over the world. And so for the next 45 days, 
the disciples decided they were going to do exactly what Jesus told them. So Peter went and he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ. Within the first 45 days of the movement, we now have about 10,000 believers. That's called church explosion. And then within the next 30 years, there was another 100,000 believers. And within the first 100 years, there were over a half a million Christians all over the world because they had taken what Jesus said to them seriously. He said, I want you to understand something. In the midst of living your normal everyday life and enjoy that, enjoy that, it's going to be great. I want you to know that you have one purpose for breathing on this planet and that's to make disciples. Wow. If we had have been there, We'd be more fired up than you are right now, believe me. (laughs) But that's the truth of it. That's what we're called to do. You say, well, Pastor, how can we do that? I mean, just we're just one church. I mean, man, alive, we you know we've got a few hundred people, and we do some good things, and we try to do some things that are matter and all of that. But how can we change the world? How can we be like the Playboy generation? How can we impact the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And here's what Jesus' answer was. And he gave this answer many times in the Gospels. And the answer is this. One step at a time. Just one step at a time. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to take one step towards Jesus. One step towards Jesus personally. How does my relationship, how do I draw near to him? But we're going to especially look at this idea of how can I take one step closer to you or to my coworker? Or to my son who's far from God, or my grandfather who doesn't know Jesus, or the person I go to school with, or the person I see at the gas station, how can I help them take one step closer to Jesus? And we're going to do that in different ways. The next three weeks you're going to hear about the three basic ways the Bible tells us we're supposed to share that good news is by prayer, caring, and sharing. Praying, caring, and sharing. Prayer, we know God called us to this. He said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we know that our prayers about winning people to Christ are God's prayers, right? And caring, that means acts of service and kindness and love. And Jesus himself said that when you offer a cup of cold water to someone who is poor or thirsty or you offer them clothes if they don't have clothes, or you offer them hope if they're in prison, if you offer them something they don't have, when you do that to the least of these, to those who don't have any leverage, like you and I do, we're all kind of middle class people, if you offer that to people that have no leverage, when you do that, it's like you're doing it to me, Jesus said. You're not just doing it to some guy or some girl, you're doing it to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling off of, uh, of course, I, from my house, I get on 202 and uh, get it right off of Dobson. So it's just a five-minute drive to church. And actually, on the days that I work out, I get off at Alma School because I go to Mountainside Fitness. So uh, Thursday, I'm getting off at Alma School early in the morning. And there's a guy standing there, a young guy, with a sign. And the sign's typical. You've seen him. Um, you know, out of work, hungry. You know, God bless. You know, it has it had all the stuff on it that you would expect. And and, uh, you know, the cynical side of me says, you know, get a job. And and then the Jesus side of me says, shut up, Dwayne. You know, you've got a job. So what are you talking about? And so take a buck out. of Yeah, sure. He might buy a beer with it, but he might not. So take a couple bucks out of my wallet. And I just tell him, I said, you know, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And he said, no. I said, do you have any contact information? He said, sure. I have an email account. <laughs> 
Okay, I'm not asking. So we exchanged numbers. So I'm going to email this guy. And we're going to talk. We're going to build a conversation. And uh, we're going to somehow, some way, I don't know, you know, maybe he's just going to take those couple of bucks and buy a beer. I don't know. Maybe not. But at least I took a step. Small, but I took a step. And that's what God calls us to do. So we need acts of service. Thanks. And then to share, to tell them the hope that is within you. To share does not mean passing out gospel tracts. It does not mean knocking on doors. It does not mean bullhorn guy. Sharing means telling somebody what happened to you. The blind man, blind from birth. Jesus put some spittle and dirt and made some mud and put it on his eyes and washed it off. And the guy could see. I mean, can you imagine never having seen anything in his life? All of a sudden there's kind of sparkly diamonds and then just kind of some shades of color and then some forms of trees and forms of people and and Jesus and he looks up and he finally forms and there's Jesus in front of him and Jesus healed him and the Pharisees come scuttering over and saying oh he did that on the Sabbath you know that's not nice you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath and you know what the blind man said it was brilliant the blind man said I don't know anything about the Sabbath I don't know anything about religion. Man, I don't go to church. I sit, sit, I sit all day and ask for alms, you know. I don't know anything. But let me tell you what I do know. 30 seconds ago I couldn't see and now I can see. He shared. He said, this is what's happened to me. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to recognize it. But let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. So that's what we'll be looking at in these coming days. Now, I, I don't want to be... A normal church, okay? And you guys know that, and you don't either. You wouldn't be here. If you wanted to be in a normal church, you'd be somewhere else. But we're very abnormal. We're very dysfunctional, and we're proud of it. That's why we put the sign in our sign out front. But, but listen to this. 78% of churches that say they're evangelical, 78% of those churches, according to George Barna, never have one conversion in a, in a year. Seventy-eight percent of churches that say they believe in the evangel into the gospel, they never have one conversion in a year. I don't want to be that church. 90% of all churches in America are losing members and attendance daily. All mainline denominations, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopalian, all mainline denominations are losing members and attenders by the drops, especially from young people. You go to some old established churches and all you see is what we call Q-tips, right? Now, I granted, I'm one, I don't even have enough hair to qualify as Q-tips, but the fact is they're all old people, okay? And there's no young people in there. And that church is dying. In fact, uh, Anthony Pappas in a book said this, churches that have lost their heart for evangelism are living out their final chapter. Okay, I don't want to be that church. I don't, I don't be that normal church. I don't want to, you know, talk, argue about doctrine. And I don't want to stand around holding hands singing Kumbaya. I don't want to be that, okay? I want to be a church that, like Playboy, recognizes that we have something that will change the world. Only we have something that won't just change it for 60 years. We have something that will change it forever. See, when you understand that you have the power to change the world, you will never ever be the same. Well, how do we do that, Pastor Dwayne? Well, that's what we're talking about today. We do that one step at a time. Now, we want to start with a definition of evangelism. It's not scary. I promise you this isn't going to be scary. So uh, three or four years ago, I have to look at my calendar. uh, I received a call from the Department of Church Growth and Evangelism in the Covenant. All this happens in Chicago. That's where the headquarters are. 
And they asked me if I could come out on their dime for two days to Chicago to be part of a committee, a group of pastors and seminary professors to kind of help redefine who we are as a covenant church when it comes to evangelism. After all, the name of our denomination is the Evangelical Covenant Church. We better know something about evangelism, right? That's in our name. So myself and 18 other pastors and seminary uh, professors gathered in Chicago and uh, they said, let's start from scratch. Let's just start from, you know, this is always a good way to do it. Start with the book, nothing else, no other what we've done in the past, no other tradition. Just what does God want us to be as a denomination regarding evangelism? And the thing that came out of that discussion was this phrase, one step. What does it mean to be one step? And you've heard me talk about this now for the last three or four years. And that's, it came out of that, uh, that kind of brain trust. I don't know if you call it that because we're just we're pastors, you know, how much brains are there? And so we're this group of people and we come up with this idea of what's your one step as a way of doing evangelism differently, but still very powerfully. And so here came here. We came up with this definition of evangelism. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. Now, see, that's that's a good definition. Now, we get that right out of the Bible. We pick out a lot of verses and we kind of put that together. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Jesus. That's bite-sized ways of doing that. So let me share with you kind of those four components of that definition. The first part is the most important, and it's this. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You see, evangelism, bringing people to Christ, is God's work. You can't do it. The reason you can't save anybody is because you can't even begin to save yourself. (laughs) We need Jesus on the cross to do that. So we can't save ourselves. We can't save anybody. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But here's what we can do. We can't cooperate with him in reaching one more person for Jesus. So there's a Jesus was talking to us. John chapter six in the Bible is one of the greatest chapters you'll ever read. Read it over and over again. It's an awesome chapter. So in John chapter six, verse 44, we read these words. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at that last day, I will raise them up. So Jesus said to his Father and to the disciples, Hey, no one's going to come to me because of you. But if my Father is working on your heart and I cooperate with my Father in heaven, that's when somebody's going to come and find new life in Jesus Christ. Now, there's another passage in 1 Corinthians 5 that's really good. And I want to read that uh, to you. Um, this is uh, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and uh, starting at verse 5, we'll put up on the screen. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9, even though it'll just be 5 through 8 up here. I added this verse today. Actually, I didn't add it. Paul did, you know, 2,000 years ago. But I added it to the reading. So here's what he says. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work The Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. In the King James Version, it says God gave the increase. Verse seven. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work for we are both God's workers and you are God's field you 
are God's building. Isn't that beautiful? God has allowed us, and this is what he told him when he got on the mountain, and he's about ready to say goodbye forever, you know, on the, the, after the ascension. When Jesus got them together, he said, I want you guys to realize something. You're plan A, and there's no plan B. <laughs> the church is plan A. This pearl of great price, this gospel message, this making disciples idea, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to live and breathe in the midst of doing everything else. I want you to do that, and, and, and that's, that's the only plan. We don't have another plan. That's it. And he says, what I promise you is the Holy Spirit will be going before you and you just find out where the Holy Spirit is at work. This is an experiencing God concept. You find out where God is at work and what? Join him there. We don't have to do the Holy Spirit's work. We find out where he's at work already. How is he drawing somebody? Who is a person of peace? Who is somebody that's learning about the kingdom? So um, I have this uh, T-shirt that says something about Jesus on it. I forget what it says, but it's. Somebody gave it to me. I think it was Herschel, because Herschel used to always wear those kind of T-shirts. So something about Jesus on it. I totally, I just use it as a workout shirt. And so I went into the bagel shop, and the gal said, hey, I like your T-shirt. And I said, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that is pretty cool. You know, it says, some, Jesus, I will make you fishers of men, is what it said. And uh, she said, um, uh, are you one of those Christian guys? I said, yeah, I am. I didn't tell her I was a pastor. Usually if I do that, that usually stops the conversation. So I said, yeah, I'm one of those Christ follower guys. And over the weeks, we have started building this uh, communication. Uh, when she can, she'll come over and see how I'm doing. And, and she'll talk to me. And, hey, I, I memorized that verse you gave me last week. And so what, what I did is I identified somebody. And she's, by, by the way, Jehovah's Witness. So she's got a lot of confusion about religion. But she's anxious and she wants to learn. But I believe this gal is going to come to faith in Christ. And it's not going to be me. I'm just one of many, hopefully, who have cooperated with the Holy Spirit to reach one more for Jesus. You know what? Barna says that it takes seven contacts with different Christians for a person who is a, not a believer to become a believer. It takes seven different contacts throughout of life. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were one of those? Wouldn't that be amazing if you're one of those? So, the first part of this definition is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and then, and others. See, we're not doing this thing alone. Evangelism is not the work of one individual. It's the work of all of us working together. Maybe one of seven or two of seven or seven of seven, but somehow, some way, God has used your seed planting, your watering to reach one more for Jesus. So we're, as I told you last week, we're at Bella Beach uh, at our family reunion and on that Sunday, we gathered around uh, 14 of us, mom and dad in their 80s, all the way down to Elowen, who's two, and all the family in between. And we share about our faith story. And I had each person share, how did you come to faith in Jesus? And everybody shared, right down to the five-year-old, Caleb. Uh, Elowen, uh, as I told you last week, she really needs Jesus badly. And she's only two, so she's got some time yet. But um, So everybody shared their faith story. And here's the neat thing about each, each one of them. Uh, McKenna said, well, I, um, you know, after my mom and dad got a divorce, I was really sad. And I remember driving back from from Augusta where my son was stationed in the army. And uh, my daddy led me to Jesus. And she was like four years old when that happened. And, and, and that's her face. And then each, everybody, the adults and the kids all shared. And here's the thing that was consistent with everybody. Everybody had a name. Well, my daddy led me to the Lord. Um, my youth pastor, uh, my Sunday school teacher, 
a neighbor. Everybody had a name. So I want to do an exercise with you right now. I want you to think of someone in your life, maybe in your, in your past, that had an influence on you coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to think of the name and see that person in your head. Okay? Just think of it. Maybe it's more than one. Maybe you have immediately popped several, you know, one of those seven, right? But I want you to be thinking at least of one person in your mind that was instrumental in planting seeds or watering seeds in you that ultimately enabled you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Do you have that name? Okay. Now I'm going to ask you to do something really different. I'm going to ask you to say it out loud. And everybody's going to do it at the same time, so you're not going to feel weird. You're going to say a name that nobody else knows, probably, most likely. But I want you to say it out loud. The Bible says that when we offer our praise to God, it's like, hear this, it's like a fragrance. It's like this beautiful, wafting, beautiful perfume fragrance that's rising up to God. When we say those names, you'll be talking about people. Some of them may be dead. The people that I would mention are all dead. Okay, the three people that were most influential in my life was a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, and my dad. And they're all gone. But, but those, those will be kind of a sweet-smelling sacrifice to the Lord. So, you ready? You have those names? We say it on the count of three. And you know me, if you don't say it loud enough, you have to do it again. So, you might as well do it good the first time. You can say the name of that person or names of that person. On the count of three. One, two, three. Don, Harold, and my dad. Now, what if someday... Maybe today. What if someday, in some church, somewhere in the United States or in the world, someone says your name? You know, when I was a kid, uh, there was this um, Andy Carey guy. He was a teenager. And we went to youth group together. And he was one of those that helped me move towards my faith. You know, I'm Emily. I'm a student, a graduate student at ASU. And there's this guy that's in one of my classes and we started sharing and I told him about my faith in Jesus and someday maybe your name will be spoken. Maybe your name is being spoken right now as we speak. Here's the truth of it. You are called to be a witness, to plant seeds, to water. You're not called to bring anybody to Christ. You can't do that. You are called to be a witness, to plant seeds, to water. So I'm, um, last Sunday after service, um, by the way, uh, Cindy Barton, um, they've decided, she and Rusty, that they're not going to take any more uh, drastic chemo or radiation or anything, just some pain meds, but they're going to just let this thing play out, uh, the cancer that she has. And um, so last Sunday, uh, she and I had a wonderful conversation, and I took communion over there, and we had communion together, the three of us. But So I said, Cindy, I said, um, let me ask you those questions that I need to ask. <laughs> How's your heart? You know, how's your relationship with Jesus? Are you feeling anxious about the future, about death? Are you feeling anxiety about what heaven's going to be like or, you know, any doubts or anything like that? She said, no, no, no. I, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is faithful to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Right. The old song, the scripture. And she said, no, I, I know Jesus is my savior. I know that heaven is my the eternal resting place. I know that when I close my eyes for the last time and I open them up, I'll see the face of Jesus. I know all that. She said, but I'm, I'm a little worried about my husband and my kids and my grandkids. I said, well, you're a mom. That's what you do. I understand that. 
But I said, let me tell you something, Cindy. When I first met you, we were in the strip mall back in 2000. Uh, her husband, Rusty, was not a believer. Her two teenage boys, just out of high school and college, were kind of being rascals. Kids do that in that, those, that time frame. And I remember how faithful she was in praying for her family and being a witness to her family. Fast forward 13 years later. Here Rusty is, uh, is, a, is a wonderfully devoted Christ follower in our church. He gave his heart to Christ in those early days. And both of his, her sons are Christ followers. One of them is a youth pastor. Both of them married Christian girls. They have grandchildren who are growing up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I said, Sandy, all of that is because you planted those seeds of faith in them. I'm not talking about motherhood. All of us fail at fatherhood and motherhood at some level. That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about the fact that you prayed for your kids. You prayed for your husband. You are a faithful witness. And they are going to speak your name. Cindy was the one that led me to Christ. Each one of us needs to recognize the importance that we can have in another person's life. Remember the guy who was a paralytic from birth? I couldn't move any of his limbs. And he had four friends. And his four friends didn't know what to do. So uh, Jesus was speaking in this home in Bethany. And there were people all around. And just jammed in the home. And they were outside the, the windows and the doors. And just a huge crowd. And, and this, they couldn't get their friend in to see Jesus. And so they did what anybody would do. I mean, it makes total sense, right? They drilled a hole in the roof. You know, and they tore away at the thatch and the straw and the mud and everything. And there's all this stuff coming down on the people. And, and then they put this guy on a pallet, a, a rug, tied the four corners with ropes, and they lowered him and plopped him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, OK, well, I just changed my sermon. You know, so things just got different. And so the guy wanted to be healed, obviously. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure the guy said, I didn't say anything about my sins. Jesus said, I know, but before you worry about your healing, you've got to take care of your soul. And so the guy came to faith and he was healed. And, but here's the part that we forget about. That that guy would have never experienced that joy of salvation, that joy of being healed in his body, if it weren't for those four friends. Throughout Scripture, always having people, whether it's Nicodemus or it's Andrew, or something, somebody's always bringing somebody to Jesus. They said, Jesus, you've got to meet this guy. I, or you, guy, you've got to meet Jesus. And, and so we have this with the, the Samaritan woman. You know the story of the Samaritan woman. She was everything she wasn't supposed to be. Jesus met her right where she was at. He loved her. She gave her heart to Jesus. And then she went away. This is all in John 4. And when she went away, this is what she told the people. She said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And he loved me. And you know what the Bible says next? It says, people thronged. You know, that, the old, old time word thronged to see Jesus. You see, we not only cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we cooperate with each other. People we don't even know, we've never even met perhaps, in helping one person experience the good news of Jesus Christ. So, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person. One person, that's the third part of this definition. Not arenas, not stadiums, not neighborhoods, not entire workplaces. One person. Now, you have your cards, and I, uh, Pastor Brandon asked you to hold on to these. I don't want you to fill these out. You want you to look at this card, take it home with you. If you didn't get one, pick one up on the way out, because you're going to need this for the next four weeks. And I want you to start thinking about that one person that you can pray for. 
or that one person you can care for, or that one person you can share your faith with. And maybe there'll be more than one, but I want you to start thinking in terms of one person. Not I'm going to change my neighborhood. Not I'm going to change my work office. You know, not I'm going to change Hamilton High School. But that one person that you can make a difference with. So be sure you keep those cards and you bring those cards every week and we'll talk to you more next week how to use that. And there's the definition, cooperating with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. One step closer to Christ. Now there's two parts to that. The first part is you need to take one step closer to Jesus in your life. Now some of you are fully devoted followers of Christ. Some of you are brand new Christians, just came to faith in the last few weeks. Some of you are unconvinced yet. Somebody maybe invited you. By the way, that person that invited you today, maybe that person is going to be one of those people that you thank God for one day. Somebody invited you, you're not convinced. I'm not sure about this Bible stuff, Jesus stuff, but I'm willing to listen. Well, that's taking a step right there. Taking a step closer to God, I I don't understand, but I'll, I'll, I'll listen. Okay, that's good. So we've got, all of us have to identify, well, what's that one step I need to take in my life to get closer to Jesus? For some of you, it might be saying, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to start reading uh, a little bit out of the Bible every day. Or I'm going to start doing what Pastor Dwayne suggested last week and having a daily sabbatical. I'm going to find seven minutes in the middle of my day when everything's craziest, and I'm going to get away from the office, get away from the desk, get away from the school. You can't walk out of your class, teenagers. But I'd get away somehow, and seven minutes, I'm going to just focus on God. And I'm going to say, Lord, thank you. I love you. I want to serve you. And just talk to God and be with him. That seven minutes sabbatical. Maybe some of you need to have a discipline of prayer. Some of you need to discipline. And what do I, if somebody asks me about my faith, what do I share? What kind of a story? So there's something you can do to take one step closer to Jesus. That's the first part. The second part is this. What can you do to help someone else take one step closer to Jesus? Cooperating with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. I'm not talking about formulas or scripts. I'm not talking about quizzes or on the most on the spot demands for huge memorization of large sections of scripture. But an awareness, a conscious decision that God is at work in the world. And I am looking. I am aware And I want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in doing whatever I can, prayer, share, care, to help bring one person closer to Jesus. Friends, the single greatest gift a Christ follower can give to the people around them is an introduction to the God who created them, the God who loves them, and the God who died on the cross for their sins. Nothing beats that. No monetary gains, no jobs, no recognition or accolades. But there is nothing more valuable. That's more valuable than a cure for cancer. That's more valuable than world peace. Evangelism is watching for ways to give the single greatest gift to someone living far from God. You see, when you understand that you can change the world, your life will never be the same. When you understand that this pearl of great price that is in your soul, this gospel message, this good news of Jesus Christ, can change the world, your life will never be the same. I wonder how you live that out. I'm asking you to practically think, okay, how am I going to live this message out today? We were um, in Vancouver 
at uh, Corey recommended that we go to a First Baptist Church, Vancouver. Large, old, stately building over a th- hundred years old. Start to say a thousand years old. Those are in Europe. A uh, hundred years old and uh, big, beautiful, uh, you know, uh, ornate church and seats maybe seven, eight hundred with a balcony. There may be 200 people there uh, that Sunday. And uh, we went there because we wanted to hear this uh, guy preach from uh, Regent College. And uh, we went there and we participated in the worship. I always try not to critique anything because I tend to do that, be critical. Oh, that, that wasn't a very good sermon. Now, that wasn't very good worship. So I just try and enjoy and appreciate. And, and uh, so we had the mediocre. I mean, we had the worship and we had a good message and it was all good. And then but halfway through the message, there's this gal in front of us who began to cry. An Asian gal sitting by herself. Again, there's just a couple hundred people, you know, spread out all through the church, not people sitting close to each other. And she started to cry and she started to sob. And uh, Sherry, I'm sitting here. Sherry's right here. And I can see her. I mean, I'm like holding her back like a quarter horse. You know, she wants to go over and minister to this woman. And I'm thinking, maybe just wait till the service is over, you know. And, and, and so after the service is over, she practically jumps over the pew and she spends a long time ministering to this woman. So that, that told me, I, I, I had a couple questions about that. The first is this. Where was First Baptist with this girl? Why, why didn't the entire church, why didn't they stop their worship and come over and minister to? Where, where was the church? That was the first. The second thing is this. When you are so filled with the love of God and you recognize that God wants to use you and you're looking for opportunities. You're like Sherry. You can't stop but leap over that pew and minister to that woman. That's what we're talking about. Being aware, being alert to cooperating with the Holy Spirit to to pray, to care, to share, to make a difference, to bring one more person to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, as we begin this uh, new series, I pray that you would speak to our hearts loudly and clearly. Lord, I see myself on the Mount of Olives with the disciples, because I'm one of them. I'm a disciple. I'm a Christ follower. And and I see Hope Covenant Church there, too, as uh, Jesus is telling us, okay, now, uh, boys and girls, here's the deal. This is the last thing you're going to hear from me, so pay attention. Um, I want you to have a good life and go to school and get a good education, obey the laws, you know, uh, learn how to play baseball, uh, brush your teeth. But listen to me. Listen very carefully. There's something that matters more than everything else. And it's this. I want you to go into the entire world. The world? Not just Jerusalem? No, Judea. The whole world? Yes, the whole world. And I want you to take the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to make disciples. Okay, Jesus, that sounds good. Um, for the evangelists in the group, that's no, no. This is for everybody. There's no plan B. There's no other way of doing this. I want you, my followers, my disciples, I want you to take this message to the world that is lost and broken and dying without Jesus. Would you do that for me, Jesus said? Well, I, for one, as a disciple on that mountain, I, I want to raise my hand, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, but yes, I, but I've got to because I believe deep in my heart that If I have the ability and the gospel to change the world through that good news, that my life will never again be the same. So, Lord, help me and help us. 
Help us, Father, to be that kind of people, to be the church of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.